Dover Lake. Good morning, good morning. I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Hey, Craig, good to see you, man. <laughs> so great. Uh, I, I love our church so much. Uh, dur during worship, I'm just standing over here worshiping, and I just have to say, someone gave me the coolest little fold-out from National Geographic on birds, which I'm very excited about. I love birds, so I just love our church. You guys are just so generous, so kind, so fun. Uh, well, next week, next week is a very special day. Anyone know what next Sunday is? Anybody? Easter. Easter. Good job. Well done. Yes, next week is Easter. You don't want to miss. Same service times, 9, 20, and 11. Bring invite your friends. Uh, if, if next week is Easter, does anyone know what that means today is? Palm Sunday. Awesome. Man, look at you guys. So brilliant. So brilliant. Uh, Palm Sunday is a day. Had, had I been born 2,000 years ago, I would have loved Palm Sunday. I would have, I would have absolutely loved it. Uh, is anyone like me in here who just loves crowds? Like wherever the people are, you want to be there. And, and, and so if it's a parade or something else going on, you just, you're just attracted to the people. Uh, that's me. I just, I, just, I just love the energy of people and crowds. And, and so even like when, when I go to Urban Coffee Lounge and Juanita there, when, it, when, it's, when it's happening, when it's full, when, even when there's a line, I'm, I'm, I just find myself excited. Like, yes, there's, there's a crowd in here. Uh, even a bus, when, when, when I get on the bus, if, if the bus is, 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 is full, I'm, I just find myself excited. Like, this is so great. We got a crowd. Uh, crowded bathrooms. There's nothing better. I just love. No, 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 no. It has its limits. It has its limits. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to leave. It's, if it's your first time here, I'm not that weird, okay? Uh, uh, you'll, you'll survive the next 30 minutes, trust me. Um, but, uh, but this last winter, my wife and I, we, we brought our little 11-month-old, little, little sailor, and we went to a community worship service in downtown Bellevue. You may have heard of it. It's called Snowflake Lane. It is massive. It is a huge production. And so I'm there, and I love crowds. I'm with my son. We're making one of those family memories. I have him up on my shoulders. You know, there's Christmas lights. There's Christmas music. There's the whole thing. And there's snow, you know, kind of swirling in the winter air. Snow, you know, swirling in the winter air. And, and then it's done, and everyone has to find their car. And so it's just, if you've been there, you know, it's just a mass of humanity. Some people are trying to go that way. Some people are trying to go this way. Some people are just standing there waiting for the crowds to thin out, so they're not helping at all, you know. So wherever there's a window, you're kind of cutting through, trying to stay with your people, you know, as you, as you, kind, of, you, you kind of duck and dive, working through the crowd. So, so imagine, you're, you're like slow dancing with hundreds of strangers as, as, you're, as you're moving through. And, and, and a guy like me, just so excited, smile on my face, sure go plums dancing in my head and my son on my shoulders and, and, I, and I can't contain myself and, and, I, and, I, and I shout out and I just, say, I just say, this is awesome. And I say it right as I'm passing this woman in front of me and we're, we're face to face and <laughs> she locks eyes with me and she says very clearly, no, it's not. <laughs> And the music stopped, the snow melted, Christmas was canceled. It was, it was, it was uh, but it was, you know, I just love crowds. And, and when we talk and kind of reflect on Palm Sunday, that's the image we need to have. The population of Jerusalem when the Passover would happen, and, and that's what, when this occurred, it, it would swell by hundreds of thousands of people. It's huge. You have people with, with their kids on their shoulders and, and they're rushing outside the city because they hear this man named Jesus is about to enter in. And so there's palm branches being waved. 
They put down their cloaks on the street as Jesus saw this young colt riding in. And, and there's all kinds of dynamics in play and, and things that are wrapped up into that which we don't have time for. But, but these people, this, this image is something that you would expect if it were a king coming back into his kingdom. Amen. And that's really what's going on here. And what the people are declaring, what they're saying, and it's recorded as this in Scripture. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. They're shouting these things out. And so it's just this beautiful scene. And what draws these people, and Jesus is always drawing crowds. Everywhere he goes, he's always drawing crowds. And people have heard of the miracles. His teaching is, is just, it's just amazing. And yet crowds of this nature, there's just something unique about it. And, and in the Gospel of John, he says explicitly at least one reason why so many people came out to play a part of this triumphal entry. And so I'll read these two verses for you out of John, chapter 12. John records this. He says, Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. You better believe I would do the same. If I saw someone get raised from the dead, I'm going to probably tell my friends about it. Verse 18, That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And that is the sign, that miracle, that raising of Lazarus is where we're going to spend our time together. Because it's from that sign is what happened here where Jesus delivers this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. We're wrapping up this series we've been in together called I Am. And we've been looking at these different I Am statements that Jesus has declared about himself in the book of John. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to look at that statement. And it really it only makes sense if we actually see the context it's delivered in. When he says it. What's going on. And so we're going to look at this story. And so it happens again. This happens just prior. We don't know how much earlier from Palm Sunday this happened, but it was quite recently. It was quite recent. And it actually happened not too far from Jerusalem, uh, just a couple miles uh, in a little town of Bethany. And, and so if you want to follow along uh, in a Bible, uh, you can take one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't have one, by the way, that's yours. That's, that's for you to take. Uh, we'll have it on the screen and in, in the notes. But chapter 11 is where we'll be in the book of John. Uh, same number as Edgar Martinez, by the way. That, that's for the five Mariners fans in here. Uh, we, we, we pray for you. We pray for you. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 17 is where we're going to start. And it's helpful to know this. Helpful to know this. This is what, what we're reading is, is there's this set of siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And they're, they're quite close friends to Jesus and his disciples. And sadly, Lazarus has gotten sick and died. So that's, that's the context of what's going on as we begin to read here. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany... He was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days, for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Amen. So at this point, Jesus shows up. Lazarus has been in the tomb, dead now for four days. And Martha, a statement that I think many of us would, would, would have made in this, in, in, in this moment, she says, Jesus, if only you had been here earlier. 
If only you had been here earlier, back when Lazarus was sick, I know you could have healed him, and it would have kept him from dying. We would have been meeting under different circumstances. And what I didn't tell you, what I kind of failed to mention, is that Jesus actually did get word that Lazarus was sick. Jesus was about a day's journey away. Messengers came and told him, Lazarus is sick. You need to come see him. And it says that Jesus remained where he was for two more days. So that's an interesting dynamic. If Jesus loved his family so much, why wait? Why not, you know, get on an Uber and head over there right away, like, make, you know, make things right? And, and so we have that question that we got to kind of hold on to as we continue. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Amen. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. The, the, the exchange here is not uncommon. This is kind of a consolation uh, for, for the Jews that believed in the resurrection. That's kind of a consoling thing you would tell them. You know, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss, but you have hope of the resurrection. Lazarus, at the last day, he'll rise again. Amen. And so Martha's, you know, she's probably heard that for days now from so many different people. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know my brother will rise again in the last days. But what Jesus says next is totally unique. He says this, he says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Amen. So he is saying one of these I am statements that is crazy, crazy. That he is the resurrection, that he is the life. And so Martha, again, probably bewildered in this moment, is, is, is just trying to think through what's going on here. Jesus, it says he asks where Mary is. So Martha runs to the house, gets Mary, and Mary kind of comes with this, this whole crowd that she had been mourning with at the home. They kind of follow. So, so picture this group of people coming to Jesus, where Jesus is at. Verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, this sounds familiar, right? Lord, if only you had been here. My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The first point that I would love to share, kind of a principle here that we see again in the text it's important, and it may be worth writing down on your outlines. It's that when you trust in Jesus, pain still hurts, and he hurts with you, and he hurts with you. Mary and Martha are close friends with Jesus. Remember that. Lazarus as well, close friends with Jesus. And here we have them hurting, mourning, suffering the pain that, that, that only death can bring, that separation. Martha, if you, if you read this, this, this chapter in more depth, and, and we skipped a few verses, you would see that Martha declares that she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Amen. She has good theology. She knows who Jesus is. Amen. And yet still, she's, she's, she's in pain and still wrestling with that question, you know, Jesus, where were you? If only you had been here earlier, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And then you have Mary, and, and there's so much we can learn from Mary. She comes to Jesus as she falls at his feet. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last time that Mary finds herself at the feet of Christ. We have this kind of episode earlier in the ministry of Jesus where he comes to this home. 
And Martha, she's all busy getting things prepared, right? Kind of in the kitchen, getting the house all in order and stuff. Where is Mary? But at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in his teaching, his presence, taking a place that really a societal norm was that only men should be there. She's breaking that, and Christ affirms her in that moment. And, and his spirit's been breaking down sexism ever since. Here we have Mary, the same Mary, who in just a few days, actually just right prior to the triumphal entry that we, we had talked about, palm branches and such, that she will anoint the feet of Christ with this precious perfume. But here, here we see Mary mourning, grieving, lamenting, in pain at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, if only you had been here. How about Jesus? What's Jesus' response in this moment? Well, this is key. And this, again, kind of sets up the point that I've just delivered here. It's important to recognize it says that Jesus was filled with deep anger that welled up within him. You see, his response to death and what death causes, the pain of it, is to be angry. So let me say this. For those of us in this room that have had to uh, uh, walk alongside maybe the loss of a loved one or a friend or a family member, that anger that wells up, that, 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 that frustration is actually, that, that is the spirit of Christ rebelling against the forces of death recognizing this isn't right. There is something wrong here. Even the atheist and agnostic go through a similar thing and, as they encounter and, and look at the, de the death that, that, that perhaps has, has, has touched the lives of another, that, that there's this recognition that things must change. We want to rebel against this. We need someone to conquer it even. Amen. And that sets up really what we look to as we come back next week. Let me read this. Death causes an end to life, which is something that was never intended to have an end in the first place. Death causes a separation between loved ones, and nothing was intended to separate us from the loving relationships. Death is the ultimate effect that sin has in this world. And that's why we need Christ. That's why when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life, it's so important to listen to him and try to seek to see what he is saying there. So Jesus is angry, but it also says, and Jesus wept. If you can remember the two words, Jesus wept, congratulations. You have memorized scripture. Shortest verse in the Bible, but nonetheless, right? And even in those two words, it's important to recognize there's so much packed into that. Jesus, God in the flesh, wept, fully man, fully God, fully man in this moment. We see this lived out. That the pain of Mary and Martha and even Lazarus who lay in a tomb is now Jesus' pain. The suffering they go through is now what Jesus is suffering. Their grief is his grief. Their tears are his tears. There's this proximity that he comes into nearest to those that are in pain and suffering. And then what he does, and if we, again, look at Jesus' teachings, Sermon on the Mount especially, we see him say things like this to his followers, to us. Mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. If you continue to read the, the, the gospel account according to John, you, you come across this verse that says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus calls us to the places of pain in this world, to the suffering, to the places that should trigger some anger in us and some tears. As I was thinking of just examples of this, and, and there are so many, so many that I've been blessed to share life with and, and, and others that I've just been able to meet just momentarily. 
But a contemporary example, par excellence, the, the best I can think of, is a man by the name of Brian Stevenson. Got a picture of him here. This is, this is my good friend Mike on the right and, uh, and Brian Stevenson over there. Brian Stevenson's the founder of Equal Justice Initiative. Brian has an amazing story, and, and it's worth checking out. I, in the back of your outlines, you'll notice kind of some, some other resources to check out. I've listed the title of a TED Talk he has. If there's any homework I could assign to you uh, between now and next Sunday, it would be to take 23 minutes of your life to listen to this man. He can teach us something of really what it is that we've been talking about. Equal Justice Initiative, it, it exists because sadly still in 2018, the color of your skin and your personal wealth actually dictate things such as conviction rates and sentencing, not culpability. Some of this man's clients are 13-year-olds sentenced to die in prison, life without parole. Let that set in. We're the only nation in the world where that's even a thing. Here's a man willing to go into these places of pain. You look, at, you look at executions in our nation. For every nine executions that take place, there is one person that's found innocent and exonerated, set free. Brian's work is recognizing there are mistrials. There has been all kinds of forces in play of injustice, racism, discrimination, all kinds of things. And yet instead of running from it, he's running into it. He's a living example of what it looks like to be Christ in this world. So yes, to trust in Jesus means we will still hurt. There is still pain in this world that hits us hard. It also means that Christ is with us, enduring the same. Let's continue. Our story is not yet done. In verse 36, let's continue here. It says, the people who were standing nearby, I said, see how much he loved him. Looking at Jesus' response. Again, Jesus is weeping in this moment. People are pointing to him and saying, look at how much this man loved Lazarus. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So there's this thought. There's this thought that, that Jesus, yes, powerful, totally powerful. Yeah, 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 he's got some special abilities and such. But, uh, but they're limited to things such as deafness or blindness or illness, but not deafness. No one, no one can handle death. They've limited him. Continuing. It says Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Again, he's, he's, he's not happy about this whole death thing, guys. Not happy at all. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Can you see the foreshadowing of what's to come? Good Friday. Don't miss it. Right here. 7 p.m. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. Oh, boy, move that bus. Get that out of here. But Martha, Mar you know, Martha attentive to detail and such, you know, she's, she's always thinking. She's on top of things. The dead man's sister protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. This smell will be terrible. Oh, yesterday Mary told me she didn't even use any of the perfume. She's saving it for something else. Man, he's going to stink. This is not good. She's protesting the fact that death has had its way, it's done, it's over. Multiple times, I mean, it's, it's hard to miss as you read this kind of clearly. John's pretty clear. This is the fourth day that Lazarus has died. And that is something we can't just skip over. We got to kind of trip over it and recognize what's it there for. 
In antiquity, there's this thought, there was this understanding that upon death of someone, at least their spirit kind of remained near the grave. So, so to kind of come to the grave for the three days after someone's passing, at least there was kind of a sense of that person still being near you. Amen. Sure, they were dead, but, but you could almost sense their spirit kind of nearby. Amen. On the fourth day, grief is at its highest. Hopelessness is off the charts. Not even the, the spirit has departed from that place. So when Jesus delays two days, again, if you look in John 5, Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. He's only always ever led by the Spirit. And so for him to remain for two days, he recognizes that that is an act of obedience. But why? Well, I would say, I would submit to you, it's so that he shows up on the fourth day to shatter paradigms, to change what people have thought about him, to complete what it is that the Gospel of John is teeing up about him. That no God, again, and they had all kinds of pagan gods. All of them were strong and powerful and things such as that. But there was no God in the, in the thoughts and minds of anyone in that day that any God could come up against death. And Jesus, here he says, roll that stone away. So let's continue. Verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Jesus knew. This is, this, is, this is pretty interesting right here. Again, this is not too long before Palm Sunday, which means it's not too long before Good Friday, which means it's not too long before Easter Sunday. Jesus knows in calling Lazarus out of the tomb, the countdown begins where he will end up in a tomb. Again, there's this foreshadowing that takes place. Can you imagine watching a dead man come out of a tomb? Especially one that you know, one that you've spent life with. All these mourners, again, close to the family. I mean, this can't be just something that's made up. This is, this is clearly something that, that Christ is doing here in this moment. When you look at the Gospel of John, we've been looking at I am statements. There's seven in the book of John. There's also seven miracles. Some, some call it the book of signs, signs of Jesus' power. And you look and you kind of compare and contrast. You look at the one we're talking about today is the last one. It's the seventh of these signs. The first one couldn't be any different. The setting is a wedding. People are joy-filled, happy, celebrating. They run out of wine. Jesus' first miracle, bam, water to wine. Woodenville's favorite miracle in the whole Bible, trust me. <laughs> He shows his power over the natural process. Wine takes a much longer time to make, obviously, than just to touch water and say, you're now wine. Yeah. Here we fast forward, and Jesus now finishes completing what he wants everyone to know. I am all-powerful. Even death has no way. Hallelujah. Death doesn't have the final say. Death listens to me. So when I say Lazarus, come out, Lazarus is going to come out. See, John is completing our theology of who Jesus is, his power. Hollywood theologians point to this story as the beginning, the genesis of the zombie genre. This is, I, I don't know, I just totally made that up. Uh, there's something, though, I'd say there's something in our minds. Like, like that's kind of weird. We can even think of the fact that, like, what if someone who was dead could come to life? There's just something interesting in there. 
Second point that I would love to offer you, it's the final one, again, worth jotting down, is this, that when you trust in Jesus, hope never dies and life never ends. Hope never dies, life never ends. On that fourth day, when everyone else is telling you there ain't no hope, there ain't no life in this area, you say, oh, no, 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 I follow Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. When others are saying, oh, you know, it's too bad. If only, if only he would have shown up a little sooner. You say, oh, no, he's always right on time. As we read scripture, I think it's important that we just listen to the voice of Christ speak to us. What is it that Jesus would want to speak to you in this passage? I jotted down some things that I think Jesus was speaking to me as I read this multiple times. One being, Pat, you may think that things stink right now, but watch this. It could be questions such as this. Will you invite me to that place which causes you pain? Will you allow me to speak into that place as I spoke into the tomb that day? Will you believe I am the resurrection and the life? I don't know if you're feeling the pain as you've brushed up against death or debt or depression or divorce. But Christ, in Christ, we have hope, we have life. And that's what's on display here. Again, Lazarus comes out of the grave alive, resuscitated. The sad reality is at some point, though, Lazarus does die. And he does end up in a tomb. And that is why Jesus is clear when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. We've talked about life. We haven't touched resurrection yet. I'm curious. Little poll, little poll. Here's where I want to kind of go with this. How many of you are scared of spiders? Anyone in here is a little, little scared of spiders? A little arachnophobia kind of sets you off. Like, like even seeing that, you're a little like, oh, oh, man, man, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Like, we, we were joking. What if we were in, like, one of those 4D theaters where it's, like, under the seats? We could, like, create that little feeling. Like, ah, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah, now you guys are all wiggling. It's so fun. All you guys are wiggling right now. It's so great. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, I feel like I got, I got duped. But in premarital counseling, a question they need to add is, who will kill the spiders in your home? <laughs> I didn't realize it'd be me. Trust me, I am, I am scared of spiders. But my wife has me beat. And when Leah sees a spider, by the way, every spider is huge. There's, not, there's no such thing as a small spider. Whenever she's telling me, there's a huge spider in the bathroom. There's a huge spider in the living room. You know, some are big. Some are, you know, quite good size. Just Shade smaller than what we saw. But, but others, others are quite, quite small. And, and I think for those of us that, that have that duty of killing, we each have our mode of torture. You know, we're all a little warped. Like, this is where I'm, like, utterly depraved in this moment. And so I go for the shoe. I'm a, I'm a shoe guy, kind of boring. Uh, if I'm not around, by the way, this is quite hilarious. If I'm not around, uh, usually I get multiple calls to see if I can come home first. And, and, and when those go unanswered, Leah takes it into her own hands, and she doesn't go with the shoe route. The shoe, there's some problems with the shoe. Even, even when I use the shoe, as I'm reaching forward to smack the spider, I'm also jumping back, you know, like, and so I always miss, I always miss. I've never hit a spider on the first time. I never hit the spider on the first time. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta fix my, my, my delivery here. But, but Leah, when Leah sees a spider, I'm not around. Oh, she reaches for the hairspray. Yes. I don't know why. Guys, it's an expensive form of torture. She just unloads a can, half can, third of a can of hairspray on this poor spider. I kid you not. Guys, come over to my place. I will turn on the lights for you, and you will see points on the wall and ceiling that just glisten and glow. 
our home is flammable. Like, we can't light candles anymore, you know? But Leah, as, 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 as I'm killing a spider, and, and again, it takes me multiple times. I'm, I'm not quite good at it, even though I've had years of experience. And, 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 and she's always there. She's always nearby, a little bit in the distance, but, but near enough to watch. It's just quality control, right? She, she needs to make sure it actually is dead, and I don't lie. You know, oh, I, didn't, you know I got it, you know. Uh, uh, and what she wants is she wants proof of life. It, it technically be proof of death. She wants proof of death. She wants me to show her this spider is in seven different pieces. It is clearly dead. Then, then as I prepare to throw the spider away, if I go to the kitchen trash, she goes, oh, no contraire, no way. Throwing that away in the house. What are you thinking? Walk down to the dumpster, throw it in the outside trash. Next option, if it's too wet or cold or snowy or whatever, you know, okay, I'll let you flush it down the toilet, but you got to flush twice, you know, like... My wife believes that a spider, dead though it may be, could be reanimated with life, come back in bodily form, and 2.0 version has no hope of ever dying again. <laughs> now that's resurrection. <laughs> resurrection is this. N.T. Wright, best New Testament scholar we have of our time. He says resurrection is life after life after death. This reality that God in the full culmination of what he's up to and making all things new, new heaven, new earth, that even the body of the believers will be brought and made new. If you've ever visited someone who's quite sick, doesn't look well, perhaps is just uh, going through just a terrible season and, and has, has lost their health and you've visited them, Perhaps you've had this thought. Perhaps you've even said this or heard this. They just look like a shadow of themselves. Resurrection's the inverse of that. It's, it's recognizing that even in this world, at our best, at our healthiest, at our prime, at our height, whatever, we are yet a shadow of our true selves. What Christ says is the truest you, the fullest you, the most perfect you, the you that you've been created to be is found in me. Amen. That I am the one that gives that type of life. And no one can take it away. Not even death can speak or come against that. Amen. Some of you are probably wondering like, ooh, this sounds, this sounds pretty intriguing. Now I'm, I'm a little interested in this. And maybe you're thinking, ah, is there an example of this? I would love an example. Give me exhibit A. And I would say, oh, I would love to. Come next Sunday. Come next Sunday. The resurrection changes everything. N.T. Wright, same guy I referenced earlier, put a book on the back of your outlines worth reading. He says, if you remove the birth of Christ from, from our holy scriptures, the New Testament, you, you lose about two chapters. If you lose the resurrection, you lose the whole thing. It's central to what we believe. This is core. What I'd love to do, it's usually in this time where I would prepare to pray and, and kind of transition. And, and in talking with the team, we have a different thought. There's this creed that's been written. It's called the Apostles' Creed, penned, written, written back in the 4th century, 381 A.D., 
And it's at a time where, you know, go back even before the Reformation. Go back to when there was one church, before all these splits and it got all crazy and gnarly. And, and, and the term, the word Catholic back then meant universal, one, united, which truly is good theology. There's one church. When Christ returns for the church, it's for a bride, not a harem. You know, like there's one church. And so there's this creed that's been written, a statement of our beliefs in Christ. What is it that we believe about God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the church? And it's very interesting and very important that we realize resurrection of the body is part of that. So what we're going to do together, and some of you have done this before. You've, You've seen this before. Maybe you went to a church where this was a normal thing. Maybe you're raised Catholic. You recognize this is the kind of step one in prayer of the rosary. Like you, this has been used in all kinds of different shapes and forms of church, traditions, backgrounds, denominations. Well, we are going to enter into it this morning, joining with millions of others that have standed on this statement of faith. And so if you would join with me, and we're going to speak this out together. Again, the Apostles' Creed. Let's do this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen.